0: So the passage, if you want to follow along, is Psalm 126. And again, I will be reading from the ESV translation. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. But they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams like streams in the Najeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves with him. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Good morning. Good morning. morning. Um, It is absolutely my joy to be here today. I really appreciate you trusting me. Trusting Luke, really. If things go wrong, hey, Luke invited me. So I'll let you guys deal with him later. No, thank. Things will be fine. I'm confident because we're gonna we're gonna open God's word. But um, it it really is my joy to be here. I um, I say that I'm I'm a small town person in Bozeman. Um, I was born in Chester, if anyone knows where that is, up on the Highline, and from Stevensville, and um, went to Montana Bible College out of the Navy to um, pursue pastoral ministry and. The Lord laid it on our hearts to plant a church, and we thought, well, we're already here, so let's go ahead and do it here, and we did, and and, it, and it's going well. So let me just say it up front, um, you, just you all from this point forward, if you didn't already, you have you have people in Bozeman, and um, stay at our house, come visit us, we'd, we'd love to have you anytime. You want to go down and see the park or whatever, I don't know how often you make it over there, but our home is open to you, and um, it, we regard the Saints as family, uh, which I can tell you all do as well, so... Um, yeah, thanks so thanks so much for having us, um, me and my family, and we're looking forward to getting to know you a bit better as soon as, uh, when the gathering's over as well. If you're not already in Psalm 126, please go ahead and turn there now in your copy of God's Word. I, I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but it seems like spring is
0: um,
1: trying to make an effort at being here. Uh, we always have a few false starts, as you know, uh, uh, just as well as I do. But I want to be hopeful. The sun is out. The snowbanks on our street, at least, uh, have all but disappeared. The songbirds are back, waking me up early. And it, it seems like, accompanying the warm weather, it seems like, is a general optimism from people. Optimism regarding moving away from everything difficult or odd from these past couple of years. Um, I don't know if that's an observable thing here. It certainly is where, where I live. And, and the thought is this. The thought is, um, maybe we can maybe we can outrun all of the troubles and all of the um, unforeseen grief that came to us these past couple of years. Maybe when the clock struck midnight um, on December 31st, maybe some sort of wall went up, uh, keeping all of our troubles at bay. Uh, this year will be better. They may come no further. Well... You know, maybe, I I don't know, I I don't think so. I I do know that even if things soon get back to some semblance of normal in people's lives, and I, I certainly hope they do, we will not be free and clear of all grief, all troubles, and all suffering. I know that. Trials are not confined by calendars we still will face on a daily basis reminders that sin is in this world and that every part of our lives are affected by it. The hospital bill that we just cannot afford, or the worsening sickness, the loss of a job or even a career, the harsh words from a family member who now won't even speak to us. There's a scholar named Don Carson, and he said that if you haven't suffered in any significant way, you simply just haven't lived long enough, and that you will. It it comes to us all. And there are constant reminders that even after Christ's definitive victory at the cross, sin still has a foothold in this world. Despite important things like elections, wars, cultural shifts... For better or for worse, we never have to go far to be reminded of sin and its presence and effects here and now. They face us every day. I'm, I have to uh, drive across South Dakota here um, in a couple of months, and I, the constant I think we counted 137 billboards for wall drug one time. <laughs> the constant. Unrelenting, ever-present reminders of that free ice water, yay. But uh, but just like that, we, we never have to look far for reminders of sin in the world. I don't really know many of you, and I know that we could sit and exhaust our current struggles and afflictions for hours, even without knowing each other. We would have a lot to talk about if we just sat down and said, what's hard right now? There'd be, there'd be plenty to talk about, whatever... That might be. But here's a question: Have you ever been so affected by trials or so affected by hard circumstances that you have felt completely useless to God and His purposes? Things are just too hard. Maybe you haven't said these exact words, but you felt in your mind and in your heart like saying something like this: "Lord, I'm tired, I am discouraged." I have worked hard. I've made good efforts, but I just do not see any progress. I do not see any way forward and I am starting to lose hope. I'm losing my faith because I am limited. I can only do so much and I'm really beginning to wonder is what I'm doing even making a difference for you and your kingdom? You, you, You might call it spiritual paralysis. You just don't see a way forward. Have you been there? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe regarding praying for a friend or a family member, that they would turn to Christ, but progress seems to have halted. Maybe you've been giving yourself to a certain ministry for years and you just don't see the fruit and you're starting to second-guess what you're even doing. Or maybe it's regarding sin in your, in your own life. You've fought against it for years, you hate it, but you can't get a grip on it and you seem to be running out of steam. I think this is every Christian in one area or another, areas where we are discouraged. We're waiting for relief. We're looking for a clear way forward, but we just, we just don't see it. Hope hangs by a thread. If there's any hope at all, what is it for you today that you would say falls in that category? I, I believe God will meet us in his word. I believe God would meet you today and give you hope. And so here's the question that I hope will answer today. The question is this. How do we move forward when trials slow us down? How? Uh, how do we move forward when trials slow us down? That's when I think Psalm 126 will answer. So let's consider this Psalm today. I'm. Uh, Well, we've already read the psalm. I would normally begin by reading the psalm. So thanks so much for doing that. I think that's an excellent habit, by the way. I'm going to be going off my notes quite a bit today. I love how much scripture there is built into your Sunday gatherings. That is, um, you're you're just not going to go wrong the more Bible you give. I mean, that's what an excellent habit to be in. Now, be reminded of a couple things as we consider this psalm. The psalms are the word of God. They are divinely authored and they are for us. Sometimes I think that uh, the wisdom literature, namely the Psalms and the Proverbs, we we unofficially relegate them to like little day calendars that go strictly on our grandmother's windowsills. Like that's, oh, that's a cute little saying. Let's put a cat and a flower there and and put it on a little, won't that be a nice reminder? Well, it's fine if you want to put the Psalms on the calendar, but they, they are the authoritative word of God for our life today. They are divinely authored, and they are for us. All Scripture, including Psalm 126, is profitable for us. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 that Psalm 126 is profitable for us. That means it will improve our our situation in the sense of giving us a greater understanding of righteousness, of who Christ is, of what God is doing. We, We need Psalm 126. Whatever's going on in, in your life personally, whatever's going on in your family, whatever's going on in this church body, know this. Through Psalm, I can say this for certain, because it's scripture. Through Psalm 126, God intends to make you more like Christ today. that's that's our approach to scripture we know that factually he intends to change us by his word it never returns void it always accomplishes its purpose so that means we can be I love the word expectant we are opening God's word and we are seeking to understand it we can be expectant that God is going to work through his word in us today you will not leave here with all of your problems gone I, I wish that were the case But you can leave here with a bigger picture of your God, who is Lord over your trials, over your problems. So to that end, let me pray. God, we just ask for your help. Um, You have given us many promises in your word, and they all find their yes and amen in Christ. And so we are excited about Psalm 126. Would you please meet us by your word today in powerful ways? Ways that speak to us very personally. Ways that speak to this church as a body. Uh, Ways that show us how glorious you are, God. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalms are a helpful gift from God. Um, When we find ourselves worn out, with no energy to keep going, maybe lacking joy and wondering what the point is, we can say, "I, I think God gave us a psalm for that. Here's what the psalms do. I'm speaking very broadly. Here's what the psalms do, broadly speaking. They help us see how we should process and move forward in an, in an array of situations. They show us how to think and feel as children of God. Because even our thoughts and emotions, just like everything else, our thoughts and emotions are affected by sin. And our thoughts and emotions need to come under God's instruction. Our, our culture would tell us um, that your emotions are, are the standard for absolute truth. What a dangerous thought that is. To be governed by our flippant coastering emotions? And, and, and it's just a lie. Even our emotions and how we feel and respond and think need to come under God's authority and his divine instruction. Our, because our emotions are not off limits for sin. Sin affects them. So, like every part of our lives, we need to, we need to feel rightly. You, you can feel wrongly. We need to feel rightly according to God's instruction in His Word. Because we do often feel helpless. We do often feel joyless. How how would God have us react to these hard things in life? Feelings of hopelessness and insurmountable trials. Well, those feelings and those circumstances are not unique to us. It's evident from the psalm. Israel felt that way too. Um, The author of this psalm depicts a scene of discouragement, a scene of not seeing a way forward. If we're going to understand what God intends here, we, we have to consider the details of this psalm that was just read for us. Now, what's going on in this psalm? that matters. First of all, this psalm was likely written shortly after one wave of exiles returned to Israel from Babylon, Pro- probably. You recall that uh, both the northern and southern kingdoms fell, and that the southern kingdom was marched off to Babylon for about 70 years in exile. They were away from their homeland. Most importantly and significantly to them, they were away from their, from their temple and from all that was familiar. And so the text begins by talking about God restoring the fortunes of Zion. And some translations say, restore the captives of Zion, because that is probably the event in view here. The captives coming back home, being allowed to return to their home. But also, and I'm, I'm so glad you read this, this is a song of ascent, and, and you probably see that in your Bible. Right under the title, it should say a song of ascents or maybe a song of degrees. And here's what that means. It means that this, uh, it would be common to recite this psalm while on your way to the temple to worship or to attend a festival as you are um, ascending up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was, uh, is on a hill. So you would ascend up to the city um, singing these psalms of ascent as you traveled. You are traveling up to the place where God historically meets with his people. Wh- whatever occasion is going on, it is clear from the author's perspective that things are pretty bleak. Some of the Jews are back in Israel at this point, but they, they largely have to start over, and not all of them came back. And, and think about this. They have psalms that are made Reciting on the way to the temple, but oh yeah, the temple has been leveled. The temple has been destroyed. It was taken down upon their exile. It needs to be rebuilt. If you spend much time uh, in the eastern part of the state, farmers will tell you how hard last year's drought was. It was. Um, I mean, I mean, we. I think. I think the. Um, I think the Flathead Valley and the Gallatin Valley are the two most fertile places for agriculture in the state. But out east, they had, they had a really, really hard time. They already struggle to get enough rain. But when drought comes, things just become downright bleak. They become desolate. Israel had come back to an essentially desolate place. Only a portion of their people were with them. There was no temple. These are discouraging things for the author of this psalm. But turn your focus off of your circumstances and on to God. God met his people then. He meets his people now. He meets us today with these same words. Whatever desolate place we are in, whatever trial we face, our God is a God who knows, a God who cares, and a God who never changes. And when his people are down in the rubble, he doesn't say, boy, that's too bad. Let me know when you dig yourself out of there. No, he he meets us there. So here's what we will see today. And I, I have... Just several short points, but here's what we will see today. God meets us in this psalm and he shows us that it is good for us to keep moving forward even in the midst of trials, even while things are hard. This psalm connects with our humanity. It shows us a way forward and then it reveals to us hope beyond our greatest expectations. Our desolate and hopeless situations are certainly different from then, um, we're, we're not thinking on that, same, on that exact same national level or, oh no, how are we going to, to rebuild a torn down temple like the people were then? But we are God's people and we face our own trials and afflictions. And this piece of scripture, just like the rest of scripture, is for us. It is meant to be helpful to us. So how do we move forward when trials slow us down? I see three um, um, inspired godly habits. From the text today, three habits for moving forward when trials slow us down. And the first one is simply, keep praying. Keep praying. Let me reread verse four. "Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb." The psalmist is asking God, he, he, he's described the situation. He, now he's asking God to intervene. He's asking God to act. He goes from describing the hard situation in verses 1 through 3 to looking to God and asking God to act in verse 4. But, but not just act in any way, not in some abstract way. He asks God to act in ways that God has acted in the past. It, maybe you notice that. The first three verses describe how good things were previously. He's looking back to a time when God acted in big, saving ways. Things were good back then. He's reminiscing. Things were good back then. Our fortunes were restored. There, there was real joy. There was real laughter. It, it was like we were in a dream, the author says in verse 1. Like we were in a dream. And, and, and maybe we can relate. We, we find ourselves in a hopeless state, but things weren't always this way, were they? We, we can remember. We remember when things were better, before the illness. Back when our kids were still confessing faith in the Lord, before the divorce, we we remember. In this case, the author says things were so good that even the surrounding pagan nations looked at us and said, Wow, this is the real deal. This God of theirs really is doing something among them. Their neighbors and everyone around them saw God's favor and grace poured out on them, it was obvious. Looking back, times were a lot better. Things were good, but not so much now. Not so much now. Restore our fortunes, O oh Lord. Make things like they used to be, like streams in the Negev or Negev. Ge- geography helps us here a little bit. If you know about the general, general uh, layout of Palestine, the Negev is the southern portion of the land. And generally speaking, there's not a lot of water. Not, not much to speak of at all. Streams in the Negev are not common. And really, they rarely flow with any significance at all. It's a very arid place. But when the rain does come, these dry creek beds rage to life with water. That's that's the image. God, bring a a sudden, powerful, life-giving change to this situation. Just like an overflowing brook. Do something big, Lord. Brothers and sisters, it is worth us noticing that in the midst of discouragement, while standing in the center of a desolate place, the psalmist's first action is to petition God in heaven as a first recourse. Ashamedly, I often try to fix things on my own for days or even weeks before, hey, maybe I should pray. Maybe I should go to the God of the universe. This is not an empty longing for the so-called good old days simply for the sake of nostalgia. No, this is a cry for God to act, to bring favor back to his people, and to bring glory to himself. The author prays. May that be our inclination when we find ourselves in trials with seemingly no way forward. Can we turn to prayer first, foremost, and often in an ongoing way? We, we can all pause. I mean, you can mentally do it right now. Think back to a time when when we observed and and were a part of God acting and working in big, obvious, mighty ways, like like streams in the Negev. Maybe it was revival in your town. Maybe it was the conversion of the seemingly unconvertible. There's no way God will ever save that guy, and he does. Seasons of maybe healing from. Uncurable illnesses, huge growth spurts in the local church, big, obvious things. We've experienced those wonderful seasons, and just like the author, we look back to those days and we say, That was good. God in heaven, please do that again. Now, does God have a perfect will and plan that he executes? Yes, he does. Should we still ask him to do big things? Yes, absolutely. We must be quick to pray in our desolate seasons and in our deepest trials. I'm reminded of Philippians 4 when we read this in verses 6 and 7. Verses you likely know. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, This is our starting point we're for moving forward in trials. We have no other starting point. This is our starting point. Go to God in heaven. The only one who knows you, who knows your trials, and who holds all of history in his hands. Go to your God. Well, that's easy for you to say, you could think. You, you don't know my struggle. You haven't lived my trial. No, I haven't. But I do own a Bible, and I trust the God who wrote it. And God says in his word that the prayers of his saints are as incense to him in Revelation chapter 5. I know that the God who wrote this book is the God who also wrote my story, and he's the same God who wrote your story, according to Ephesians 1. And in his will and his plan is perfection, according to his goodness and according to his mercy. I know that. I don't always see it. I don't see it from my vantage point. I don't always claim to understand it. But I must believe it because God has said it and he has proven himself to only be trustworthy. Friends, prayer is not a quick solution to get what we want. God is not the cosmic candy machine. Prayer correctly postures the children of God before the Lord of our circumstances. We have to be correctly postured. It's an expression of dependence. It's an expression of trust in the ruler of all things. So, as we stand in the midst of very real trials, very hard trials, especially as a church that is in the midst of a world that seems to love destruction, let's be sure that we start in the right place. So we keep on praying. But secondly, we keep working. Keep working. Now keep praying... We say, well, we can do that. And that's, um, that's not a problem. I can keep praying, but keep working? That's a bit harder, isn't it? Because it's one thing to, to toss up a quick prayer for a family member. Yeah, sure, I can do that. Yeah, Lord, please help me. You know. I, can, I can do that. It's a different thing altogether to work up the courage to get on the phone and to invite them over to my home so I can feed them and minister to them in person. That's, that's a little bit more of a tall order. Keep on working. Do we have to? Well, let's look back at our psalm. Look at verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. We'll get to the shouts of joy and the bringing in of the harvest in a moment. But first, we keep Working. I don't know what you're facing in your life that is hard today. I don't know exactly all the aspects of the life uh, of the author of this psalm. I don't know all that. I don't know everything that informed his words here. But I don't think we have to understand all of those details to see some major truths for us. We are meant to see what God put in this psalm. And here is what we see. I'm going to point out the obvious. Are you ready? Yeah, Big, big statement here. The sower is sowing. The sower is downtrodden. The sower is outcast or even scorned, perhaps. The sower is facing huge challenges and is maybe in the midst of a seemingly insurmountable trial. But the sower is still sowing. Uh, uh, Wait, wait, though, aren't aren't there tears involved? Yes, but the sowing continues. Now, you certainly know this, but um, I'm no farmer, but I do know this. We have a farmer in our church, so I can consult with him when I need to. (laughs) Sowing and reaping, especially in an agrarian culture in the ancient Near East like this one. Sowing and reaping is a common way to describe anything that has a process and then results. Uh, You reap what you sow. This is common language for any action and result. So what work is in view here? Broadly speaking, we have the child of God continuing the work of God through a trial, through a desolate place. And why does it matter that the child of God is sowing in tears? Now this may sound daunting, but it is the true word of God. And it's this. Our tears must not stop our sowing. They they must not. Our trials should not halt our work for the Lord. Our difficult situations must not cease our longing for Jesus to be known in my county and in your county and among the nations. Friends, let, let, me, let me say it really plainly. Sometimes we sow in tears. But, but we do sow. We don't only labor for the Lord when we're full of joy. We don't only labor for the Lord when things are going our way. We don't only strap on our boots and get to work when we wake up on the right side of the spiritual bed. That's, that's our tendency. I know that. That's my tendency. It's easy to be a fair weather Christian. I know that. Loving God and proclaiming his excellencies when the sun is shining. But losing faith when things go dark. I know that. We walk into a trial or we find ourselves in a desolate place. And all we want to do in that moment is just set down our tools and go sit On the ash heap with Job, progress halts. Forward motion stops. Prayers cease. Motivation dies. We stop seeking the help and counsel of our brothers and sisters. Coming up against an obstacle, we often just shut down and crumple right where we stand. Our joy (laughs) evaporates. We come through church doors less and less. We pray only over meals and even then, just very methodically. Our Bibles get dusty because we aren't reading them. All because we find ourselves in a trial where we see no way forward, and so we just sit out. Church, we are not called to operate that way. We are not called to operate that way. We are not given the option of stopping our work when life gets hard. God works in the darkest times. God works through hopeless days. It was out of the flood that Noah emerged, bringing new life to the earth. It was out of the dungeon that Joseph was exalted. It was off of the ash heap that Job was restored. From the belly of the fish came Jonah, and from the desolate wilderness came a voice crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord. Our Lord himself faced the dark door of death and walked through it. And now is highly exalted above all other names. God works in and through the dark places and the gloomy seasons. He never lifts his hands from the lives of his people. He doesn't do that. Even when things look hopeless from our limited point of view, so we don't stop. No, we take our tears with us into the field to work. Now, what does that mean? It means, it means we evangelize the lost. Even when facing a rise in criticism and increasing ridicule, it means we continue to serve even without recognition and without praise. It means we keep reaching out to that son or that daughter or that parent or that spouse to let them know that we love them and we care about them and we want to see them repent and turn to the Savior. We don't stop working even when the tears are flowing. Keep discipling your kids. Keep pursuing your unbelieving spouse. Keep praying for your neighbor. If you grew up in the church, um, like I did, you have no doubt seen faithful saints who have been in the same small, marginalized ministry, maybe for years. They're tired. They're seeing no fruit. They often, they often, I would say they regularly take their tears into the field with them. A missionary who has been on the field for years with no noticeable change in the hearts of those to whom he ministers. A father or a mother patiently and faithfully praying for and ministering to their child. Hoping against hope that they will see Jesus as glorious and turn in faith to him. They take their tears with them every day. You have, many of you, maybe all of you have undoubtedly sown through tears. Have you ever brought your tears with you into your trials? Maybe you've served on a difficult committee or team that had to make hard decisions. Maybe you're the only one keeping a small group or a ministry alive. You've had unforeseen drastic health issues in your family that have seriously affected your life or or this. Maybe you have been a friend to the difficult person in town because no one else is and you know that you are their only connection to the Savior. Brother or sister, you have sown in tears, but I want to encourage you today. Your sowing through tears is good and is pleasing to our Lord. What you are doing matters for eternity. Here's a quote from William Plummer, who wrote an excellent study on the Psalms. He said this about this passage. He said, There is no more precious fruit gathered from earth than that which springs from seed sown in tears. And pain and sighing and persecution. The Bible acknowledges that, yes, we do face hard things. We do go through seasons of little to no perceivable fruit, no perceivable growth, but the responsibility to keep working never goes away. Do you need to weep? Well, that's fine. Sometimes we weep. Keep working while you weep. And I know this can be hard, especially considering this we don't always see the harvest. Uh, One pastor I I listened to said at one point, many of the seeds that we plant in the ground will stay underground until we're underground. We, We may never see the fruit of those labors. We're not guaranteed to see the fruit in our lifetime. We work often through tears and we trust God with the results. Like we just read from Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, sometimes even with tears. So church, even in tears, please go to work. Work with the assurance that your Lord sees and your Lord knows. Keep working even in tears. Link arms with these saints around you. And when you struggle, don't do it alone. Struggle together. Weep together. Keep going together. Now with all that said, I know that your strength is limited. My strength is limited. We're finite beings. We, we reach breaking points. We reach uh, walls that just can't be climbed over. We reach obstacles that we cannot find a way over through or under or around. We are limited, and we're reminded of our limitations every day, which is why I'm so glad of the hope tucked into this song. And it's my third point: Keep trusting. Keep trusting. Um, keep praying, keep working. And third and last, keep trusting. This is where we see tremendous encouragement, tremendous hope. Our tears are real, no doubt. Our trials are real, absolutely. Our desolate places are real, some of them more real right now than others, absolutely. But our hope is real. And, and here's what's excellent. Our hope will outlast every trial. Every trial will die, but our hope will not. Verses 5 and 6, let me read them again. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now when we read scripture, and when you are drawing the meaning out of a text, you make observations. Observations of the text. And here is an observation I can easily make from verses 5 and 6. The author makes a claim. A claim about which he is certain. And remember, the Holy Spirit of God inspired these words. He is certain about this claim. Do you see it? He prays, he keeps working, even through tears, and he knows that joy is coming. He knows that somewhere, somehow, on the other side of the tears, on the other side of the labors, there will be an abundant harvest. Now, here's what the author does not say. He doesn't say, so with tears, yeah, maybe things will work out. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's, there's always hope. Kind of. Maybe things will work out. He doesn't say, push through trials and there's a chance things will turn out okay. He doesn't say that. He says, sowing is followed by reaping. And when it comes to the people of God, doing the work of God, there will be a harvest, and the harvest will be good, and it will be characterized by joyful shouts. That's a fact. You can take it to the bank. Desolation and tears and weeping will be turned into bounty and to singing. You can see the image in your head. The sower tearfully placing his seeds in the earth. Commending them to God, trusting the Lord for their nurture and for their growth. And after days, weeks, or months, something has sprouted and something begins to grow. Eventually, there is a ripe harvest. And the once weeping sower rejoices at what God has done because joy has come. Brothers and sisters, let this encourage you today. God is the Lord of the harvest. You have been plugging away, struggling through trials, maybe for years, wondering when things will get better, but you've been faithfully pursuing God in your life and in your relationships. God knows, God sees, and in his perfect timing and in his good way, the fruit of those labors will be known and celebrated. It will. That relief may come in part in this life. I pray that it does. But bank on this. God's children will be welcomed into God's presence and the Lord will greet his people by saying, well done good and faithful servant. On that day there will be joy unending. On that day there will be release from trials and desolation completely. That day will come for every child of God. Are we trusting in the Lord for the harvest of our labors? The author of Psalm 126 didn't see a clear way forward. He lamented That the glory of days past was gone. Yet he knew, because of the promises and because of the character of God, that the Lord would ultimately have his way. He knew that. Joy would come. Sorrow would be no more. In every place, including this place, the day will come when every knee is bowed to King Jesus. He will be worshipped as he alone deserves. And then we will see the fruit of all the labors of all his people. We have that hope. Church, this separates the child of God from the unbelieving world, doesn't it? I I don't know what I mean I'm being completely serious here. I don't know what unbelieving people cling to when life is hard. I don't know. Maybe their money? That can go away. Maybe their health, that will go away. Their possessions? To to what do you cling, Christian? We go into the field day after day, often with our tears, with the full assurance. it's, It's already solidified. With the full assurance that the day is coming when the tears will stop, the struggle will stop, the harvest will be brought in, and God will call it good. Death will be no more. He will wipe away every tear, Revelation 21. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We have that promise ahead of us, and oh, what a promise it is. We look forward to that day. But we will end our time today not by looking just forward, but also by looking back. Look back to a time, another time, when people were looking to God for answers, they were looking to God for guidance, they were looking to God for direction, and they had 400 years of silence, 400 years of sowing in tears. The glory of God had departed the temple, we read in Ezekiel chapter 10, and the faithful in Israel are wondering where to find hope. Things are, again, desolate. But after those four centuries of silence and tears, hope came out of a desolate place, like streams in the Negeb. A prophet who came to prepare the way for the Lord, announcing the arrival of the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, And unto us was born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus of Nazareth came to seek and save the lost. He came to open the eyes of the blind and set the prisoner free to declare the year of salvation. To bring forgiveness of sins and to give hope for an eternity. An eternity of right standing before God. Church, how do we know God will follow through on his promise to bring joy and relief? Because he's done it. He's done it in Christ. And he will Do it again in the new heavens and the new earth. He will finish what he has started. That's his track record. He always finishes what he starts. If you are a child of God, you have the assurance of a day when sin and struggle are only memories. There will be joy and relief. God has only proven himself faithful. He will deliver. And as we end, you might be thinking, how can this be? How can there be the guarantee of success when I am so tired, when marriages end, And when Christian leaders fall into sin, how can this glorious future be possible when I see children growing up to leave the church and our nation's culture seems to have turned sideways? How can there be hope of success? I I want to keep praying. I want to keep working. I want to keep trusting. But there will be days when I fall short. You're sitting there thinking that. I can't keep this prescription up for long. I can't base my hope on my own being consistent. Oh, you, you are off to a great start. Amen. You will not be consistent. You will not. Here is how there's hope. Here it is. There is hope because, and this, this is a statement of relief. The success of God's mission was never up to you. And it was never up to me. That is really good news. The growth and success of the kingdom of God never rested on your shoulders, and it never rested on mine. God's mission is not guaranteed success when you and I finally get our act together and live perfectly. No. God's mission was guaranteed success when God the Son made his way up a hill outside Jerusalem, taking our sin with him. The victory is at Calvary. You you want to talk about working through tears? Jesus, truly God and truly man, second person of the Trinity, he took on humanity, the limitations of humanity, for 30-some years. He lived, breathed, he sweat, he bled like other people in the world that he created, and he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. So so as you're sitting there asking, boy, I can't keep this up. I am fickle. Is there anybody who can actually do this? Is there anyone who has sown through tears perfectly trusting, perfectly working through their trials. Yes, only one. It's happened once before. It wasn't with the first Adam, it was with the second Adam. It was with Christ. He worked harder and went lower than any other person, paying the penalty for sins and claiming victory over death when he walked out of the tomb. Jesus knows what it means to sow through tears. More than that, though, he never lost sight of God's purpose and mission. He never stopped trusting the will of the Father. We lose heart. It's true. We waver in our faith. He never did. The author of Hebrews knew this and charges us to keep working. In uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, I listen to this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, not looking to ourselves, I inserted that, but looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the glory that awaited him beyond the cross and the empty tomb. And so he said, yes, father, your will be done. I will sow in tears. Here's an excellent truth. Kingdom success rests on his shoulders, not ours. You will get tired. Yes, some days will feel like too much. Yes, you will reach points when you feel as if you cannot push on, and you'll probably be right. You will stumble and you will fall. But Christian, when you fall, you fall into the arms of the one who has already won the victory. And his merit and his work count for his people we find rest with him and him alone. We find comfort with him and him alone. And he sends us back out into the field every time with enough grace to go plant the next row. As we look to Jesus, may we be faithful, faithful to pray, don't stop praying, faithful to work even through tears, be slow to give up when you don't see tangible fruit, and may we be faithful to trust in God's promises that our work is not in vain, Because of the victory of Christ, we may work through tears knowing that a good and pleasing harvest is coming to the God who is owed all glory and praise, and all of his people will celebrate that harvest with him. One day, we will come home with shouts of joy. So, may God give us what we need to go to work today. I'm going to pray. God in heaven, we are not strangers to hardship in various ways. Um, we, we face sin every day in ourselves and in others, in cultures and governments, Lord. We see wickedness rampant. We face disease and illness. We face limitations. We face unanswered questions, God. We long for eternity, But eternity is not yet here. And so we need your grace to keep praying, to keep working, um, and to keep trusting in your good promises. So God, keep us focused on Christ, who brought all of this to completion with his perfect work. I pray that he would be the object of our worship. Um, He would be on the tips of our tongues, ready to speak the truth of the gospel to everyone uh, we encounter. This, this is your work, Lord, and you have already secured the victory in Christ. And so we thank you. Spirit of God, descend upon us, we pray, and empower us with what we need to continue sowing. Even through tears, we pray. God, I thank you again for these saints. Please bless them. Give them fresh uh, grace and zeal uh, to go about the work to which you've called them in this part of this so beautiful state uh, that we love tremendously. Bless the remainder of our time and fellowship together, I ask as well, that we might be strengthened in your grace and encouraged in your truth. I pray for the good of these people and for your glory, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen.